Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the Attack in the Championship podcast. My name is Tom Busfield. I'm your host. And let me welcome our resident guest, our certified data analyst, our scout, our FA licensed coach and intermediary, David Bromley. How are you, mate? I'm very well. Thank you. Yeah, well done. Do you feel downgraded now you weren't wonderful this week? Yeah, I was just thinking, no, I don't want to say anything. <laughs> Let it go. So episode 11, David, I've caught mm. you out the last few episodes asking you about your favourite 8, 9, 10. So obviously we're now to number 11. So who is your favourite 11? And what is a number 11 for you? Well, that's a good question, actually. The, for the first time, I did a little bit of thinking about it. Before, <laughs> I was so hoping thought, I caught you out. Because I'm, you know, I'm quick on the uptake. You've only done it for the last uh, God knows how many weeks. But I was thinking, when you ask me these questions, Mm. I think the players that come to mind are the players that come from a certain era where, you know, like I think I said the first time, when you're a certain age, your whole life is about football and anything that's important is football related. And so absolutely, the, the personalities are just huge and... So I think that just stays with you, really. And obviously there, I was thinking, well, you know, you've got the likes of Ryan Giggs, who, fantastic player, everybody kind of, you don't have to persuade people how good he was. But for me, and I was wondering about this after I was second-guessing myself, and the first name that came to mind was George Best. Uh And I thought, hang on, I'm sure I've seen him with a seven. And then I thought, no, I've seen him with an 11. So I checked it out. And back in the day, you know, players played with the number that represented the position on the pitch they were playing that day. So if they played out wide right, they wore seven. If they played on the left, they wore 11. If they played in the middle, they wore a nine or an eight. So, mm-hmm. and, and I checked it and George Best wore all those numbers and others. <laughs> so, you know, he the truth is I, I did see him with an 11. And, and, but then again, he wore a seven. I think he wore seven early in the sort of late 60s when they won the European Cup. Right. But then I think around about sort of early 70s, he was wearing 11. So anyway, for me, I, you know, anybody who saw George Best play, and I must say, I didn't, I don't think I ever saw him live. The one chance I had was the first game I ever went to, the first profession, proper sort of high-level professional game I ever went to, Upton Park, Yeah, was against Man United, but he'd been suspended one of his many kind of forays into off-field you know, <laughs> nonsense, and he got suspended. I was so disappointed because you yeah. can imagine, you know, it's like a film star. But Absolutely. I saw Bobby Charlton and I saw, you know, all the, the Bobby Moore and, the, and these great players, but I didn't see him. But anybody who sort of even watched him on the telly from at that era, you just couldn't get over him. He was so good. I mean, yeah. you know, just just incredible player. Yeah, he could. Um, he's another one of those who could pretty much wear any number and play any position and still affect the game in a positive way, couldn't he? Absolutely. He yeah. was something else. Te- technique and his ability to beat people, even on pitches that look more like ploughed fields than football pitches. That's the he thing, still, isn't it? Yeah, he could still do it, couldn't he? Yeah, and we forget that, really. The ball doesn't run through. Uh-huh. And, you know, running at speed with the ball and it's bobbling all over the place and you've still got command of it. That's a difficult skill. You know. Absolutely. And and of course the the rules as far as what you could do and what you couldn't do to an opponent from, <laughs> from a physical point of view was slightly different. <laughs> well they, they were slightly different. I remember that to my own cop, <laughs> you know, where the, the defender could come in the back 
as long yeah. as you know, he, as long as the ball went vaguely in the direction of mm. of where he was trying to play it, whether you went with it or not, made no difference. No, you know, so it was just it was a different game. Very different to the uh, Romero challenge on Enzo Fernandez the other night. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Where did yeah. you um? Where did you go with that one? Um, well, that was a, a a foul on a sending off. I don't know. Every time we watch it, you kind of get a slightly different view, I think, of it. But um, I think it's the follow through, isn't it? Yeah, I, I can see. I can see why. I've, I actually felt that the the other guy should have been sent off. With doggy should have been sent off before that. So, mm. yeah. Mm. But fortunately for me, my first year into senior men's football was the first year where they banned the tackle from behind. So wow. as, as a centre forward who weighed about eight and a half stone and was about 16 years old, I was mm. quite happy about that. Yeah, you would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't blame you, yeah. there was a, It was just a, you know, it, it literally was almost a different a different mm. game, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, there was always so. that opportunity where the defender would just say, that's my first one, ref. And the ref would be like, well, yeah, all right yeah. then, fine. Absolutely. You know, you've only killed him once, so it's fine. You can do it again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've you know, modern players... Sound like a right old, you know, but but modern players they've got their way of of doing things that weren't done back then. I mean, all yeah. this kind of grappling at, at corner kicks and things, you never really got that. I mean, you got the odd clotheslining, uh, you know, and that sort of thing, but you didn't get this sort of where where right in front of the referee, both players hanging on to each other because the ball's not in play yet. Yeah. It's it's a lot more in a way. It's a lot more cynical now. It was outright kind of blatant, you know, I'm going to kick him up in the air kind of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, barbarism. But, but now it's just, you still get the bending of the rules, but it's just, um, yeah, it's a little bit more. Good, good players find a way, don't they? They'll, they'll always find a way to to try and get that little bit of an edge and, um, you know, over their opponent, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think my my sort of 11, if we're going with, with left left-sided players again like you said you know a certain sort of age when you're watching football I used to go and watch Watford when I was a kid and I used to sit in there right down the front of the family terrace with my cousins and and a few mates and um so in in that half so we're, we're down towards one of the goals so look inside onto the goal round about the six yard box when John Barnes was on the left hand side it seemed like every week, every home game, he would sort of make, meander his way down the left and then just cut it onto his right foot, supposedly his weaker foot, and just bend one into the far top corner. And so he'd be shooting straight towards us. So you'd sort of see see him looking straight onto you and then he'd just bend it with that right foot into the top corner. It was just fantastic. So well, you, good. And it's one of them. You knew what he was going to do. Yeah. How did everyone else? But yeah, couldn't exactly. You couldn't, couldn't stop it because as soon as... As soon as the defender thought, right, I know what you're going to do now, and he'd sort of overcompensate to that right-hand side, he'd just beat him on the outside and just get the ball across. So yeah. um, they were just a on a hide into nothing. And, of course, he he did pretty well at Liverpool as well. So He did pretty well. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was he was some player. I used to love watching watching John Barnes play. It was a good Watford team, actually. Yeah. Good Watford team. Yeah, Absolutely. So that's enough reminiscing from, yeah. from the past. Yeah. Always good fun. I like that. It gives me a bit of a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we spoke last last episode uh, about 
maybe digging a bit deeper into the recruitment process, which we sort of skirted over and did a, a bit of a general overview, didn't we, in, in episode three, I think it was. So I think while we allow more data to accrue and, and allow us to, to get more information regarding the teams and the players, if we could dig a bit deeper into each stage of the recruitment process, I think that'd be really useful because when we start to move on to looking at potential targets and, and potential players for teams to, uh, to to get into the building, I think it'll be really good for people to understand in more detail uh, you know, the, the process that we're, we're sort of working through behind the scenes. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, we had a kind of chat about this and mm. I think um, it seems to fit in quite well with we you know we're working backwards from the from the january transfer window and thinking that's right you know we'll need to lead into that with some ideas with some suggestions and before we get to the point of doing that if we cover the process that that we talked about in episode three i think i'll introduce the the three part um the three-step process, really. That's right. Audley. Yeah. And I think listening back to that, I mean, I think it was a good discussion, but it was kind of fairly theoretical in the sense mm. that we tried to cover everything in half an hour or something. Yeah. And so we were talking about, and, and I certainly think we covered a lot of good ground there, but we thought maybe we'd try and dig in a little bit and get a little bit more flesh on the bones, didn't we now? Absolutely. More oh, granular. Let's get granular. Yeah. Let's get in yeah. there. Oh, um, it was interesting, interesting this week because we're we're talking about this this process. And obviously, um, you know, the, the process is there to try and you know take you forward. We we talk about processes a lot, don't we? We like a process. Yeah, we do. Because if if we don't have a process, we can't hope to improve that process later on. So so the the first the first step of it, um, was the talent identification side, wasn't it? Yeah. So do you want me to hand that over to you, David, and then you can yeah. um, you can talk through and I'll, um, n- no doubt I'll, uh, what's the word Interrupt. I'm looking for? Interrupt. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's the word. Button. That's what that's I was. it. I'll yeah, no doubt yeah. interrupt as soon yeah. as something takes my, uh, takes yeah, my interest. Yeah, well, I see it as a, as a tri, what I call as a tripartite challenge recruitment. Mm-hmm. So, the talent identification, as you say, is, is the first part, leading to prospect evaluation as the second part and target acquisition as the third part. So we're, we're concentrating on ta- the talent identification step, which is obviously the first step. And the, broadly speaking, the objective of this step is, as it, as it is for each of the steps, is to set you up in a in a strong way for the next step. So the objective for the talent identification step is to build a ranked sample of players that can be then evaluated by the prospect evaluation step. And and I, I suppose you could say, look, this is a, in a nutshell, this is a filtering process, this, mm. this step, um, because you're presented today if if you if you're in recruitment today it's very different to the way it was well it's it's quite different to the way it was even say 5 years ago it's very different to 10 years ago and it's just a completely different world to the way it was when i first became interested in it, it was about 15 years ago so um the the process of identifying talent 
once upon a time, and we're going back to the kind of George Best days, I suppose, just for a bit of context, was really to make sure that the region that your club covered, any kind of emerging talent that came out of that region wouldn't be snapped up by a competitor. So you, your job really was primarily to say, look, we need to dominate this region as best we can. And, you know, you've got regions like, if, you, if you're looking at London, then we know you've got lots of clubs all trying to get a piece of their pie. So you'd split that up and say if it's, you know, if it's North London, the Arsenal's and the, Chel- and the Spurs, and and depending on, you know, the, the level that the player might be playing at, you might have the lower, slightly lower division clubs coming in there. Um, and then if it's Manchester, you, we know there's several clubs and there's, you know, in addition to the Manchester clubs, you've got Bolton and Blackburn and Preston and so on. So they're all kind of fishing in their particular regions. The larger clubs, even going back then, spread their net a bit wider. So you had the, for, for Man United, for example, you had the the Willie Morgans and the Jim McCalliogs and the Lou Macaris coming down from Scotland and the George Bess and mm-hmm. others from, from Ireland. But yeah. mostly it was a, a regional challenge. Gradually, as as I know it's a bit of a history <laughs> lesson, but no, no, gradually cool. as, as, the, as travel became easier, um, you know, people would jump on a, a plane and get to Northern Europe. And as communications improved, you had, you know, it was easier to kind of communicate. And then now to the point where you can even have live video coverage with with even with just a, a cell phone. So the, the world's just become a smaller place, hasn't it? And so this this stage me- meant that you can cover a wider and wider and wider area with if you really fewer and fewer resources and cheap more cheaply so yeah. got to the point now bringing it right up to date where you've got half a million players that you know okay you have to start out by looking at some some data you can't you can't watch half a million players but you can get some information about them and so what we're trying to do is this filtering process that once upon a time would have been sending scouts out to watch players, eliminate them or, or sort of bring them into the fold and think, well, yeah, we're going to watch them again and so on. Now what we do is we we break this. This talent identification step is basically, it's made for objective analysis, isn't it? It's made for data evaluation. So you can say, really, whoever you are, almost, it doesn't matter really how how restricted your resources are, you can still, at least in theory, cover the whole global talent pool. But you have to have a way of filtering it. You can't, because there's great potential for overwhelm, you know, with with all this opportunity goes enormous challenge as well, because somebody, you know, it's like someone presents you with, with a blank sheet of paper and says, you can have anything. Well, all of a sudden that that's not a lot of help to you because you 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 can't you want some parameters really so you can make a start and so the difficulty I think's been with looking at what you might call football's big data is you know where do you start with it if you've got half a million players and you've got a hundred metrics per player you've got fifty million data points you know so where where on earth and of course these are changing once or twice a week so it's not just something that you can it that's already way beyond anybody's ability to kind of process but it's changing 
So what was the case this month isn't the same as what was the case last month. So you, you've really got to you've got to have well, to go back to the word we always like to use. You've got to have a process because, however, and th- and this is something that I always I always talk about. I know is you know however basic your process is, if you have one, it gives you something to focus on and deconstruct analyze the deconstructed parts, make changes, evaluate the results of the changes, put them back together and think, is that better than we had before? If so, we can keep that bit and move on. You can do all of that work in an orderly, organized way because you have a process, even though that process started out as being, you said to me the other day, look, when I look at some of the the work I've done in, in, in my business before, against the way I do it now, you know, I kind of look at it and go, oh, I don't do it that way. I wouldn't do that this way. But it's only because you have a process that you're able to compare that. Exactly. So that's that's the sort of start of it is you've got this this opportunity. There are a number of – the landscape of data is sort of complicated in a way. I mean, we're all familiar. I'm sure – we're all familiar with certain name, op, names like Opta and and people have heard of of Wirescout and Statsbomb and and Huddle and lots of other providers of of information. But what do they actually do, and how do they fit together, and how do you get put together a process with the right providers in the right areas? Um, and it is something of a just understanding that is is a bit of a job but what i've tried to do here you can butt in any time you like by the way but what i've tried to do here tom is i've tried to think about you know talking about a process without saying well you need to you know you need you need stats bomb here and you need up to there but trying to think about it and, and make it somewhat generic so we don't get kind of tripped up over well, hang on, I, I thought we'd use this or somebody else uses that. But what you have to do is you have to start with a data provider of information about players and their performances. And, you know, there are different ones. Some of them are some of them are more easily available depending on the size of club, and some of them are any club could, could get access to. So, but what you need to start with is you need some information. So as an example only, if you want to get access at a fairly reasonable cost, and, I, and this is I'm gonna just mention these because they're they're ubiquitous in the game, everybody uses them. Yeah. Y Scout are relatively easily accessible financially. And the thing about their service is that they link every one of their on ball metrics, and I'll just I did mention them before, but they link every one of their on-ball metrics to a video clip. So yes, just to make it perhaps clear, an on-ball metric is is a is a is a record of every interaction of a player and the ball, or a player and another player and the ball. Wherever mm-hmm. the ball goes, whenever a, pl- a player or players interact with it. You can record the result of that interaction, and that's an on-ball metric. So 
headers, crosses, shots, passes, tackles, blocks, mm. you know, all those things, they all relate to a player and the ball and they're all and they're all on ball metrics. And there's about two thousand of them per game, roughly, which actually corresponds to about a hundred per pl- outfield player per game, which also roughly corresponds to one per player per minute. Yeah. Roughly. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it doesn't work out. You know, sometimes a player playing out wide might only have thirty-one touches or thirty-one interactions, mm-hmm. not a hundred. And someone else yeah. might have one hundred and ninety because they're right in the thick of it. But generally speaking, just so you can get a rough idea of that sort of what you're dealing with with on-ball metrics, mm-hmm. things have developed on from there. But that's enough to be sort of thinking about, really, Absolutely. at this stage. And yeah, I mean it's 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 a lot, isn't it? And, and I would imagine that if because I've I've written down here from from things we talked about before, talent ID has gone from localized to globalized, and there isn't really much of an excuse, I don't think, for a team not to be able to go and see a player, you know, know about a player in in Angola. Um, or one in New Zealand, or one just down the road from them. Now that there are, as you said, the the world of football can be seen from your laptop now. You know, you, yeah. you can have contacts everywhere. You don't need to network and know everybody. You you know, Y Scout, for example, you've shown me the platform brings everything in. You can get your your data, but you can also get the clips as well. So you can yeah. you can you could say, well, okay, we've done done lots of these. Well, let's let's have a look. Let's yeah. see let's see what happens so yeah I, th- I think that's the big thing for me and that's the big change is is now that potentially you had sort of bigger teams with really big scouting networks and lots of scouts working for them would have that obvious advantage because they'd be able to see more games mm. but now you don't really have to take that shotgun approach and I think that's where the, the interesting thing for for me with with what you what you've done here in this three three part process is we've moved from just trying to you know scattergun everything and try and you know see as you know rely on as many games as possible for scouting to saying well who do we want to see you know let's filter out the chaff first and then we can start to move on from there so I I think it makes so much sense and and if teams are not doing this then their recruitment process, I would see it is is going to struggle because the funnel that we talk about with the the attacking funnel, this is also a filter, isn't it? This is another funnel. Mm-hmm. So if you're not getting a lot of quality players for your scouts to look at in the first place, if you're just you know throwing them into games, you know randomly, not knowing what you're going to see, then the chances of you picking up something that you want is is relatively narrow, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, and I don't know how you approach it any other way as well, because there's mm-hmm. so much opportunity there. Mm-hmm. You know, that you have to have a me- you have to have um, a method, don't you? Because mm. you, you just go mad otherwise. You, you oh, just absolutely, you know, you wouldn't know what to be looking at when. So, no. I think you, as I say, how whether or not it, this your your starting process mm-hmm. endures. To be to to be the same when you've sort of developed it on, or not, and it isn't gonna be. I can tell you, it's no, not gonna be. No. It doesn't yeah. really matter because yeah. you've got a process. So you have something to criticize. You have something to hold up and reflect on and 
make changes to and evaluate the changes and so on. So, yeah, you start with this massive number of players. And the first job you have, really, is to say, well, look, let's say we were thinking about a, a position or a role. And we've had this conversation about positions yeah. versus roles. But let's say whenever you're looking into this, really you're looking at it, you're looking at it as regards um, identifying a player for a role. You don't really look at it and say, just show me the best players. You're always going to be saying, we're interested in a defensive midfielder or we're interested in a wide left attacking player or a centre forward or a right back or something. So if we take that kind of tack, you, you'd start off with with looking at the massive amount of data and say, well, for every position or role on the pitch, there's going to be upwards of, I mean, it used to be about 20,000 players, you know, and it's, it's probably a lot more now. But to, to keep the numbers kind of quite convenient for us, I always think about, look, if you were looking at a, an individual position, there might be 25,000 players in that position on an online database from which you can get up to date, fairly detailed on ball event data. Mm-hmm. Now, what you're trying to do in this stage is you're trying to build a sample of a manageable size so that the next stage, which is the evaluation stage, can work with it. Because this stage is, is just too many. 25,000 players is just ridiculous. I mean, so, what would, so if, if we had a scout, for example, so say say we're, we're a club and we've got no process and we're just going to throw scouts out there just mm. to look at random games mm. to see to see 25,000 players mm. in one position if we were looking for a left you know if we were looking for a number 11 let's say you know we're looking for a left winger yeah and we said well, there's 25,000 players um how many scouts would you need to, to see well, just that one position well you, well it, it was not, not possible, it would be it? it would be impossible even yeah. to answer the question i yeah. mean i i used to kind of run some back of a cigarette packet calculations and say look uh-huh. if you have a scout if i can remember these properly if you have a scout who's very committed right mm-hmm. and, and dedicated to watching as much football as as they can watch in a season then they might be able to watch for nine months of the season, I think they could watch 120 games, right? So In a season. Which is a lot of games. I mean, we're talking about a, a, somebody who's very committed to going out virtually all in all, all times watching. Yeah. Now, if you're going to watch that, that many games, and assuming you're only watching one player in each game, mm-hmm. that's an assumption. But there is, some, there is some logic behind that, which we could talk about at some point. Um, then... If you said, look, sometimes I only watch a player once and I discard them, but sometimes I watch them three times. So on average, I'm going to be watching them twice. Yeah. That means I've got to well, I can only really watch 60 players in the season, which is five uh-huh. players per position, more or less, isn't it? Yeah. You know, give or take. So what we are going to look to end up with on our um target matrix which we'll come to in in our conversations about this and we did mention in episode three is five basically five players per position so mm-hmm. it would take a, a one scout a whole season just to watch those 60 players and and so you know it's it's kind of impossible to 
what you're trying to do is give the scout who's going to go out there and do the conventional live scouting a job that that they can do that is going to minimize the inefficiency and the waste of their time so you want to be doing as much as you can before you send the scout out to watch a player um in in advance of them going to the game so you're you're basically thinking there's a decent chance that they might agree that this player could be a target of ours yeah yeah so we're sort of jumping ahead a little bit there but if we go back to this this job so what we're trying to do is we're we're taking we're looking at let's say this sort of no nominal figure of twenty five thousand players per position and we want to build a, a sample that's manageable and the sample size that i came down to was 250 players which means it's still a lot you know Mm -hmm. it's still not like just a few players and we might miss some still a lot of players Mm -hmm. but it's it's a it's a size that hopefully we'll see later you know is is manageable to some degree yeah so what you're looking for is one in a hundred you know you're looking for one percent of the players that you could get information on to say I'm going to build my sample for evaluation it, according to one in a hundred of these players. I know that's I've mapped pretty, off the figures a bit. Uh, there'll be 17,000 left wingers and 29,000 central defenders. So the idea yeah. is, you know, I'm trying to the, get the idea is is right though, isn't it? Where if you can if you can discount and and disregard 99% of the potential targets before you've used any of your resources of your club. Yeah. It's pretty good, isn't it? Well, if you can. Now, how do you do that? That, that raises the question, doesn't it? How yeah. are you going to – what are you going to use as your filtering criteria to mm-hmm. get you to that sample size? Yeah. And this is absolutely critical to the whole thing. So you use a couple of things. Broadly speaking, you use something that you mentioned, I think, in the last episode. I think you raised it which is you use the club's reasonable expectations and resources of the club. So the sample size that you build for your left winger of 250 players won't be the same sample if you're looking on behalf of, say, Southampton, Mm -hmm. as it would if you were looking on behalf of Gillingham, because the resources are different. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that it's going to have a big it's going to have a, that's going to have a big influence on who is in this sample because you don't want to be getting to the end of the job and going well we've worked it all out and you know the top 3 targets we want to go for are these three and they're and they're going to cost you 10 times what you can afford mm. so that's that's not sensical sensible no, so exactly one from one dimension you're looking at what is reasonable for the club but and from the other dimension, and this is really, really critical, you're having to have already had the conversations with the coaches um, about what is it they're particularly looking for in a player in this position or role. Yeah. Because I think we said earlier, there are a hundred odd different metrics per player. And then we're measuring things like passing. We're measuring defensive attributes. We're measuring um, somewhat sort of physical and and physiological attributes. We're measuring technical attributes, attacking attributes, and so on. So mm-hmm. we're measuring all these things. But which of those things are of most importance to this particular coach, it for this particular role on the pitch? Yeah, 
because we're going to have to have a way of saying, don't take those players, take these players into the sample. So how do we do it? Well, we've already said on, on, from one perspective, we take finance into account, mm-hmm. which is really what we're talking about when you're talking about different clubs. And from the other one, we're talking about specifics of how does the coach want to want to what style of football is is he looking to play? What formations then are being informed by that style of football? What player roles are being informed by those formations? What attributes of players are being informed by those playing roles? And what metrics are rela- are being informed by those um, attributes? Yeah. So we're trying to kind of, if you like, we're trying to s- sort of use the the relationship between the numbers that we're looking at and what the coach says he wants. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that's, that's again, another key part of, of this process in the fact that it's not just a, oh, here's some good players you might want to look at. It's like we've got rid of 99% of the players and we feel that this 1% is not only a, a good player, but we think that they're good at what we want them to be able to do and at the right price and cost that we can afford. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that's pretty, that's kind of the way to go, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it is if you can. And, and it's look, much more efficient. You know, we, we're, 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 we're trying to apply our sort of scientific approach to this whilst always remembering that we are dealing with human beings. We're dealing with um, some kind of judgment here. There's got to be some human judgment coming into how. How do we translate the numbers into the criteria that the coach wants? We don't have a we have a semi-scientific way of doing that, which we're going to come to in the next step. But there's some kind of human discretion involved in this. But yeah, we are in a nutshell. We're trying to do what you've just said. We're trying to say, you know, we are picking out players whose performances have demonstrated that they are the strongest at doing the things you want them to do within the budget and so on, and any other criteria that you've got. So that's how we're really, that's how we're coming back to how do we build the sample? How do we, who, who makes it from the 25,000 into the 250? Cause you know, that in itself is, is a, is a leap, isn't it? Um, yeah. So- oh, it, it's, it's huge. It's a huge sort of, um, I suppose if you're, if you're panning for gold, you know, it, it, using those sort of analogies, it's you're looking to you are looking to get rid of ninety nine percent of the of the muck, aren't you? you yeah. Know, just to see if you can find something that's worth looking at. Yeah, exactly. So what we're really doing. So I mean, you could talk. We could talk about this. So we've we we've got these metrics mm-hmm. which we've talked about, and the, the typical kind of on ball metrics will be things like. Um, successful short lateral passes per 90 minutes mm-hmm. or deep completions per 90 minutes or, you know, there'll be quite, in a way, quite detailed um, events. Yeah. Now, if you go to a training ground and talk to a coach, they don't talk about stuff like that. No. no they don't. They talk about, you know, mobility of the player. How mobile is he? Or um, what's his what's his stamina like? You know, has he got a good engine? Can he deliver quality passes? 
is he um you know what this is the kind of language that gets used yeah. what's he like under pressure what's he like in tight spaces you know all, all those sorts of things yeah what's can you know run can does he run in behind or mm-hmm. um can he can he link up play that sort yeah. of thing is that they're the, the questions that they want answers to yeah now so you're not going to get that from really from a an online sort of database of on-ball metrics do you think do you think it's that disconnect because there is a disconnect isn't there and i think again you mentioned it where there's there's the people who are in in the data you know people who are working with the data all the time and then there's people who are not and it's getting the two to be able to communicate with each other and and be able to understand what's going on do you do you think that's why maybe some clubs or some teams or some departments haven't maybe embraced it as much as they could because they don't have that they don't have that understanding between the analysis side and the and the coaching side and haven't yeah. quite found that fit yet well definitely i mean i spent some time in the states a few years ago now mm. talking to um nbi nba franchises okay about what they do and i mean theirs is a different um you know it's it's a different challenge in some ways it's identical in other ways you know they have different sort of specific challenges but but there that was that was a lot of the conversation was about you know the office if you like for want of a better word the analyst in the office and uh you know the guys on the court or on the pitch yeah We've grown up from in different environments. Yeah. And it's not a question of, look, they don't understand this or we're not any good at that. It's a question of what's your background been? Mm-hmm. What is your area of expertise? What's your area of experience? What's the what's the vocabulary that you use and that you're comfortable with? Yeah. Um, and so you're absolutely spot on. Football clubs are not awash with people who have had a little bit of experience in both of those areas. They tend to become, they tend to have come up through the football um, route. And in which case, you know, they're, they're the sort of people we're talking about. They're talking about these things or they've come up through the, the analysis route and yeah, they're, they're, they're more talking. Like yeah. Talking. Yeah. And, and they're both valuable and they both have a plot, part to play. Mm-hmm but they don't always talk the same language and they don't always appreciate the same difficulties in the, in the other, in the other challenge. So, you know, when you're a coach, one of the things that you need is you need information that you can action, that you can act upon and usually quickly, you know, that's not going to be something that's going to be a, you know, where, yeah, but if you keep doing this for the next nine months, you know, so, but, but, anyway yeah so yes the answer to that is is that's interesting that is a difficulty definitely interesting because some sometimes within within football clubs and maybe some people who listen to this who work in clubs or have worked in clubs before there does seem to be almost an element of of distrust i think in in new things coming in uh, football and and maybe other sports as well but I, i know football a little bit better um, new things coming in tend to, rather than be embraced and be excited about, can sometimes be seen as a bit of a threat, and you um, know, maybe a maybe an opportunity where someone someone says, "Well, 
if we if we embrace this data, I'm going to lose my job because they won't need me. But as you've quite rightly said, it can't be just one or the other, can it? You can't just have nowadays anyway. There's no excuse to just have subjective opinions and there's no need to have just objective opinions. But you can certainly use the two to mesh together yeah. in order to make it much, much more efficient process. It's the same in anything, Tom, isn't it? Mm. It's the same in any, yeah. you know, there's it's a million nature, isn't it? Yeah. Di- different endeavours where you get this same dilemma, don't you, where mm-hmm. we've always done it this way. Yeah, but you've done it that way because it was the only way that it could be done Yeah, that time. Mm-hmm. But now we've got this new opportunity that we can bring this in and we can start to do different things and, and additional things. And there's always the concern of, well, who do they think they are coming in after five minutes telling us what to do and we've been in it 30 years? Sure. And then there's always on the other side the sort of, well, you know, they they don't they don't understand this and they don't so there's always that mm. that sort of lack of potentially a lack of trust, a lack of a, a fear, a concern about things. That's for the club to try to engender an atmosphere where everybody embraces anything new that comes along, not yeah. just because it's data-driven or anything, but any new opportunity that might be able to help the club ought to be, you know, able to help everybody in the club. Definitely. I mean, if I've, they all I've, embrace I've got, I mean, there's two two teams in particular who were sort of rattling around the, the Football League quite unremarkably, really, for, for quite some time in Brighton and Brentford. And, they're two teams that we know how they play and they know they know how they play and they certainly seem to have been very successful in in their uh, transfer market choices mm. and to the point where they've been able to year on year on year take themselves from being you know fledgling teams in the championship to all of a sudden established teams in the championship to you know getting out of the championship and now uh, you know, knocking on the door, if not into European competition as well. Yeah. Um, so, and you wouldn't have said 10 years ago, I, I listened to a podcast fairly recently with the um, with the head of operations at, at Brighton. And he, he said that in his first uh, sort of welcoming speech to everyone, he had everyone from the club in front, in front of him. And he said, you know, this is, this is the first step on our journey towards the Premier League. And he said, he just, took a little glimpse around to see what the reactions were of of those in the room. And he said, I can see now that not all of you will be with us for very long because of Mm -hmm. your reaction. Mm. Uh, Some of you will be with us part of the way Mm. and some of you will grow and be with us all the way through the journey. Mm. And, um, but it's having that conviction, isn't it? And and he said there there was um, friction because, You're not taking, I suppose human nature is take the path of least resistance, isn't it, at times? And people want to do what they know and what they feel comfortable with. But when 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 you get this huge exponential increase in your ability to filter these players at this stage, you know, we've gone from localised to globalised. I can now get a 16-year-old kid in Brighton to tell me what's happening in Burkina Faso. Yeah, yeah. And, and they'll know in, in 10 minutes and mm. they'll know automatically all the time. So mm. 
it's it's have it's being able to to embrace that change isn't it and being able yeah. to be comfortable with the fact that yeah i don't know exactly what's happening here but i know i can see the the potential and i can see how this is going to help us as we move through the the, the process so yeah, yeah I, I think it's fascinating i'm i'm interested in the in the why aren't more teams doing this because maybe football fans think every team does this but i think we can be pretty sure that it's the minority isn't it well it's hard to know isn't it and a lot yeah. of teams i'm sure that a lot of clubs wouldn't wouldn't ha- have an issue with it would would mm. say yeah well that's we 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 do that and we and in and look some of them probably do and some of them in their way do and some of them kind of aspire to do the some of the things the thing that i think i think i think it's widely accepted that you're going to use data mm. and that you're going to try to you know you're going to try to be more objective in your recruitment i don't think that's any longer you know of of something that you have to sort of persuade people of but it's how are you, how do you actually do this how do you do it in a an orderly way and in a way that you can well like we keep saying that you can pull you can disassemble the process and you can measure objectively the results of certain elements of the process and we're looking to we're looking to gain an advantage aren't we you know that's yeah, well, that's what this is all about and, yeah. and i think if if you're not doing something because because like you said the the y scout data you know you or i can sign up to that anyone listening to this could could sign up to y scout and get access to to data couldn't they hmm. um so if everyone's getting the same numbers how can we get an advantage and and that's and that's where i think this this comes in it's you know it's the skill set and the knowledge isn't it of how to manipulate those numbers well, to get it to a point of saying well we're using this data because this it's the whole mm-hmm. so what thing it's like we've got all this data so what and it's like well yeah. what this actually does is this gives us the ability to to filter this down into exactly what we want yeah and, i mean there are you know to be fair there are a number of services that are that you apply or you can apply mm-hmm. to the initial data source whether that's Wisecout, I know we keep on mentioning it, whether that's them or whether that, whoever it is, and it, and, it, and it doesn't matter who it is because the same argument holds holds yeah. for whoever, wherever you get your initial data. Now, you can either go to somebody to do this job for you or you can do it in-house. You know, you can go to a service provider who will say, and I, you know, how well they do it I, is is obviously individual clubs will have their own views on that but they will say well look we've got all the data and you tell us what you want to do with it and we'll help you do it and we'll set up a strategic partnership with you and we'll work on it with you and so on and i've no reason to believe that those things are not successful in in certainly in some cases um but i think when you're looking at setting up your own clubs i've i've noticed well i've i've i know this is that they are becoming more sensitive about outsourcing anything to do with recruitment Mm -hmm. because it is so sensitive, partly because it's sensitive and they don't want their 
ways of working and their their ideas and their plans to get out to competitors. And partly because I think they think, look, if we're not any different to the competitors and we're using the same services, then where is our edge coming from? Yeah, yeah. You know, That's so thing, isn't it? I think that people are recognising clubs and many people in the game have, have recognised and are recognising that this is something they need to be doing for themselves. Um, but yeah, you can get this job done. It's not that clubs aren't, a lot of clubs aren't trying to do stuff because they are, but it's, you know, it's, it's how do you put it together in such a way as you've got ownership of it. You know, it's what you do and you develop your own system to suit your own requirements. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think, mean, I think that's the real key thing, isn't it? Is it's, it's having that blend of that blend of abilities and, and and skill sets, I suppose, to be able to understand what the football side wants and how the data side can deliver insights. Because again, I, I like that word that you use, insights. So not just because we can give lots of data, can't we? We can give lots of information, but it's the insights that will actually help the coaching team and the players make yeah. a difference on the pitch on a, on a Saturday. And it's, it's having that bridge between the two. Cause I, it often, it often feels like when I have come, if I have conversations with people that here's the football side of it and the data sides over here, and there is no, there's none of this. Hmm. It's, it's yeah. like, Oh, there's the, the eggheads in the, yeah. in the data room and oh, there's yeah. the, the meat heads out on the pitch sort of thing. Now there isn't really that, that trust or that um, bond, I suppose. And, and no, that's well, that is the difficult part. You're yeah, right. It is because you're that, coming from completely different places, aren't you? Yeah, that is the difficult part. Is how can you how can how can you have the analysts understand mm-hmm. what is going to be of most value to the football yeah. people, for want of a better term? Yeah. How can they deliver it in such a way as it can be actionable. So it's these are insights, as you say, rather than you know just information for the sake of information, because so much work and potentially good work, I think, just gets overlooked because it's not delivered in the right way, and that's because it's it hasn't they haven't established whoever's delivering it haven't established the way that it would be of most value. It's a very old problem. This. You know, oh, for yeah, anyone who's worked in this yeah. kind of environment, it's it's the oldest one in the book, really. And and taking people along with you on the journey and all that, this goes back a hundred years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a new problem. It's something new comes out. We've always done it this way, like you say, for all sorts of reasons. Whether it's I'm worried about my job, I'm worried about whether I'm going to understand it, I'm worried about whether I'm going to be criticised for not understanding it, I'm worried about I don't enjoy doing it or I don't understand it all sorts of perfectly natural human concerns come out. And then it's but a big part of the skill in trying to bridge that gap is in understanding that that's what's going to happen and and trying to get to the point where you say, look, this is a support mechanism because in the end, it doesn't matter. If you're winning football matches, nobody really cares how you're doing it. No, exactly. Really, nobody's going to say, "Yeah, but you're not doing it in an orderly <laughs> procedure, evidence-based." Way. Nobody gives a damn about that, do they? If you're winning matches, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. But more and more, 
whether you win matches or not is going to depend on how well the different departments like this can sort Definitely. of synergize. You know, I, I would I would imagine. Is it? I remember the guy's name. Is it? Is it Paul Barber, the guy at yeah, Brighton? Brighton. Yeah. yeah. So, so he he seemed in his interview to be the sort of guy who would as long as you were doing what you were supposed to be doing, if, if it's, if it worked well, great. If it didn't work well, how can we support you to get it to work better? Mm. You know, that sort of thing, not the sort of environment where someone would be, you know, singled out and laughed and pointed at because they did, mm. it, they did something wrong. You know, it's that whole yeah. growth mindset sort of thing yeah. together. So yeah. um, I, I guess a lot of it depends on if you've, if you've got an owner or a, or a head person like that, that's going to make your job a lot easier, isn't it? To, to in that growth phase, because no doubt it's going to be messy at first while everyone understands what they want. Definitely, and 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 really, you know, to have we've dived in here we, for a good reason. You know, we've we've dived into the recruitment sort of stage one. Yeah, for, for the reasons we've explained at the top of the episode, but really it goes back beyond that doesn't it it goes sure. back to having a yeah. clarity of vision yeah and that's, having that's a, you know having short medium and longer term objectives mm-hmm. and to having a um a clear understanding between all the different players and in us uh, yeah. players in the sense of you know stakeholders and, and influencers in this in this endeavor so everybody understands where do they fit in why are we doing it this way why are these people working on this? What are they going to produce? That how it might affect me? What's my job in relation to this? All of that stuff is important to get right, isn't it? First, so so important because so once important. you get that work right, you know, the, these aren't these questions sort of answer themselves, really. I think so because it would be interesting if you. Well, it's interesting for for a lot of people, and I know I've I've had this asked to me myself. Is if you went to a manager and said, so what do you want your left back to be able to do? Or you said to one of the coaching staff, what do you want your left back to be able to do? Um, oh, we want them to be able to do this, 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 and this. And then if you said to them, right, what left back would you like us to buy? Whether they would actually give you a left back that did those things. Yeah. Like whether it was a left back who was just a good left back. That yeah. was, you know, this, well. Oh, this is a good point. A very good point. What you're talking about is the kind of thing that you will do, the kind of exercise that you'll go through when you're setting up mm. at the beginning of the uh, – well, it, it comes into play in the second of the three phases, in the pl- in the prospect evaluation phase, right. really, because you're then evaluating them according to a certain set of criteria. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we're doing in the first stage is we're trying to kind of come up with our one in a 100. At this okay. stage, yeah. we we haven't been able to do too much yeah. um, evaluation of different criteria of, of what you might call key performance indicators or yeah, yeah. player attributes yeah. and so on. So we haven't been able to do too much of that. And then probably, well, I think it's better. It belongs in the second phase, really. But so but, if I was um, so when we're when we're setting up this this first stage. Yeah. What would be the what would be the conversations you would have with the football side of uh, a club 
for example. So if let's 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 have a little you know um, pretend case study here. So I've I've asked you or you've been asked to come into uh, my club. I'm the first team coach, and you're potentially going to set up our our recruitment side. What would be would you need to converse with me at the, at this stage, or would you be more linking up with me as we went into the second phase? More, more in the second phase. But then okay. you could, if you have certain specific requirements that are kind of factual based, if that, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like if you said, "Look, for this for this particular role, this person has got to be of a certain physical type." Yeah, well, that might be a way that we we might use that as part of the criteria to build the sample because we can at that stage and it might be it might be why would you want to add if 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 i'm just using this as an example i'm not saying they necessarily would but if you if somebody said look we're playing with a with a back four and two kind of fairly sort of traditional fullbacks and one of the things they've got to be good at is defending the far post and that means they've got to be strong in the air. And that means yeah. I don't want a five foot seven, you know, however good they are, however, whatever, whatever their energy levels are, whatever their quality of delivery is, whatever other attributes they might have, yeah. you know, it's not a wing back I'm looking for. I'm looking for an old style fullback, yeah. you know. Yeah, almost so, an extra central defender. Yeah, so the, you might the, say yeah. at that point, well, then you might as well build it into the initial criteria. Because why? What's the point of having players in that sample who yeah. will clearly be ruled out on sort of fact based, not on form, not on the basis of their performance, which is what you're measuring in the second phase. Um, you're you're just saying, you know. So it, there may be certain areas that you would use, okay. um, but mostly it's going to be a case. Mostly, I think the first the the starting criteria is mostly related to the club. Yeah, and you're looking at trying to trying to hone in on a group of players that might be you might be able to get mm-hmm. in blunt terms. Yeah, so they might fall into the right sort of financial realm, mm-hmm. um, and any other things that you can weed out. You know, if there are certain things, and, it, and I can only. You, the the height thing's a good one because it's easy to understand. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, at the, yeah. but at this stage, yeah, you're really trying to say, build me a sample that when we get to the end of it, we're not going to throw up somebody who's completely inappropriate for our club. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So so we'd be so the stage stage one is more likely to be conversations with those around the club. You know, just seeing what the what the financial situation is, what the sort of rough style of play is, I suppose, and, and yeah. just getting that, taking that 25,000, um, you know, pretend number we've just made up, but rough, rough yeah. around that number, yeah. taking that down and getting rid of 99% of those players, yeah. getting down to 1% that we can then start to look at in more detail. From Age actual- might be another one, Tom. Yeah. Age, you know, if you're well, saying... I've got if a you're club saying- down here, actually. I've got a club down here in Sunderland. So they're, yeah. they're a club that I think when they got relegated from the Premier League and, and dropped straight down. Um, I, I think most Sunderland fans would say that they were a, a club that seemed to have no plan and no idea really what they wanted to do at all. But I would now say that they're in the the category, for me anyway, 
of a club where you can see that they've they they certainly seem to have a particular type of player that they're looking for and and I think that is a, a young technically gifted player who they can maybe develop and you know perhaps sell on or, or keep them in the in the club and get them up to the Premier League. Yeah, so that that could be a mm. that could okay. be another uh, so part could of be the criteria. Thing. Yeah, that that could be a thing that the you know director or you know director of football or whatever says um, we want to have you know no one over the age of twenty four really. You know, everyone's got to be under the age of twenty four. We're not buying anyone over the age of twenty four because we want to make sure that they've got a sell on asset value or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, and and maybe the you know the physical traits we want someone to be over six foot. Yeah. For a centre half, or you know, very very yeah. quick for a fullback or whatever. So no, okay. So so you're looking at the more um, sort of general. You know, we're we're not getting really sort of to the sharp end of the spear yet. No, we're trying to get to grips with this overwhelming. Well, the data avalanche, really, because that's yeah. what it is. Absolutely, it's, yeah. It's, it's exploded the yeah. amount of information you can get. And your first the statistical thought, tsunami. <laughs> yeah. So your first thought is brilliant. I can get all this information, but as we as we sort of instinctively know, anybody who's been to a restaurant and is presented with with a menu of you know thirty pages of different things, yeah. Oh well, it, it may not be anyone. It just might be me. No, I've got it written down honest, here. <laughs> that that well, when that happens to me, it's a it's a disadvantage. Yeah. You know, to to my enjoyment of the evening i want to be presented with and i'm a little bit unusual probably i don't mind being presented with three options if yeah. i if they're good you know mm -hmm. but okay people probably want a bit more choice than that but i don't want 30 pages no because then i just don't know where to go what with mm -hmm. it that's not what i'm i don't want a job when i'm out to eat no, you know i want to right. be out to eat and enjoy yeah. the evening so, yeah. but and I know it's a slightly daft example, but the point being, more is not always better, is it? More choice. No, that's right. It's not always better. You want some parameters. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. No, I've, I've, got going. The, I've got the menu thing here. I've I've got it written down here. Would much rather have a menu of five options uh, than uh, than five pages. That's uh, scary. You know, and, and that's that's kind of what you're doing with the with the players, isn't it? I must have transmitted that to you. I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, and so that's 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 the point really here is that brilliant. You don't want, it's brilliant that we've got access to all this data and you don't want to arbitrarily rule it out. You don't want to say, well, look, it's just too much and we're only, you know, this club or that club. So we only look in these areas mm -hmm. because, you know, it's a pound to a penny that the one player you could have got that would have been the best signing you'd made yeah. would have come from an area that you wouldn't have imagined. Absolutely. So it's 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 just don't rule it out. You've got to bear in mind, remember, we're ruling out 99% of these. So it's not yeah. like, you know, we are ruling them out, but we're ruling them out in a, in a very deliberate way. And that, of course, doesn't mean that we know that we're not going to, something's not going to slip through the net because mm -hmm. we know it is going to sometimes. Because, you know. Because I think as, as well, probably a point to, to put in, this is a constantly updating process, isn't it? You know, it's, it's not like yes. you went into a club day one and said, all right, here's our list of 250 players. That list of 250 players stays the same. This is something that can be re-evaluated week on week on week on week, isn't it? So it's a constantly evolving process. So if if a, a player 
um, you know, retires or, you know, a new player comes through the, the youth system somewhere else, you're going to get those players refreshed and, and brought onto your radar, aren't you? Well, I'm glad you said this because this is a this is a pet kind of um, concern of mine, mm. which is what do you want? Do you want a system that is so sophisticated and so, you know, all-encompassing that it's it's going to do a brilliant job for you, but it's very, very time-consuming, very complex, very kind of labouring, difficult to understand. And Because I'll tell you what you're going to get then, and I've seen it so many times in my life, you're going to get a brilliant system that no one ever uses. Yes. So, or do you want to go down the old Pareto distribution route, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I'll get 80% yeah. of the benefit from 20% of the input because I'm going to make my system so quick and simple mm-hmm. that it's going to get used. It's not just going to get used. It's going to get used every blooming day if you want to. Yeah, They won't use it every day because games aren't played every day. Sure. But if you want to, and I'm, and I'm not even tongue-in-cheek when I say this, if you want to, you can use this every time a game is played yeah. for every position on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that to me is a better system than having one that is far, far more sophisticated but runs the risk of, yeah, but, you know, it's a big old job. And, yeah. and again, I probably can't think of anything off the top of my head, but you see this kind of concept in your life all yeah. the time, don't yeah. you, where you go, well, you know, we bought this marquee, and mm-hmm. goodness me, it's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it takes it takes ten blokes three days to put it up. Mm-hmm. We never actually used it. No, we just use but a bit. Next door's got it. one, and it's not yeah. packed on ours, but they use it every bloody month. Yeah. So, well, I know what I'd rather. Have, exactly. You know exactly. So this is another, and it's and it, it, to me that's really really crucial to the whole thing. So you want something that is. Simple to use, people understand, quick, and does maybe doesn't do completely the same job that a really far more sophisticated and complicated system might do. Yeah, but, you know who's to say? But you can still develop it into a better system. But I think Absolutely. ease of use is a massive thing because hmm. it yeah, means I, in I, this I dynamic so. market it gets used, and that's crucial. Exactly. No, absolutely. That's that's really good, David. I, I, I'm struggling to think of of what more we can add to that. To be honest with you, from from that first phase, is there anything else that you feel needs to be added? Added I don't into that? Think maybe? so. I mean, it's a it's a phase that is somewhat theoretical. I say it's theoretical in the sense that you know the reason why you're doing it this way, mm. you know, you can talk about like we just have more than you can. It's you know it's a it's a fairly straightforward thing. But there's lots of there's different data sources, so it's not a case of I oh, we use this or well oh, no, that one's rubbish. You want to use the best one you can, don't yeah. you? Of course you do. Yeah, you want to use um, the one you're going to use as well, don't you? Yeah, the one that exactly. presents it in a way that you feel is is most understandable and and useful to get the insights from. But then again, the process is a good process. A good system says it's soft, so. What we plug into it at the beginning of it, yeah, it's up yeah. to us, you know. And there might be some some sort of data handling issues and things, but 
really it the value of this is in the process yes. is in the logic of the process and how how well it replicates what you would do you know in in life in this situation mm-hmm. so we, we're only using it to try and get where we want to be aren't we so yeah yeah where we be in this case is we want an, a, a sample that is is appropriate mm-hmm. so it's a sample of players who that's large enough to give us plenty of variety and plenty of opportunity it's not so large that it's unwieldy mm-hmm. uh, it's appropriate in the sense that it's not going to be bringing players in that we couldn't possibly get in a million years yeah um it's also ruling out any obvious players that we'd say well we never would have signed a player like that in the first place so you and but where we're trying to get to is to the next stage which is where we start to evaluate the players in accordance with our particular requirements brilliant no that's that's great i've written loads of little notes down here because i've i found that really interesting david um and and it is it is that setting the foundation phase isn't it, it and it might not seem you know it might not seem groundbreaking or you know hugely important to some but it's so if you don't know if you don't know where you are and you don't know what you want then how are you supposed to get to where you want to be mm. yeah, no, so for me for me it's 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 great in its in its simplicity because you you do sometimes speak to people and and you ask them what they want. And they say, well, I've, do you know what? I've never even thought about that. Mm. So what, what are you trying to achieve? Well, I'm trying to achieve this, but I, I don't really know what I want it to look. I don't really know what it looks like or where I want that's it. That's most of us. In, in most, yeah, in most parts of our lives, that's most of us. Yeah. Well, we do, yeah. we do. We live every day just as a day, just mm. in, in a single way a lot of the time. And, and yeah. I think that's where you see the very high achieving people they have a goal and they break that down into, well, how am I going to get there? Yeah. And then they focus upon that route that they're going to go. They don't get distracted by this or that or, or the other. They just stick with that. And, and just by consistently treading that path, no doubt they'll they'll sort of meander on the way. But I think that's the, the likeness of that to, to this process would be the process development would be yeah. you realize that actually the, from the 250 players we're, we're getting, we're actually finding that there's a very big burn rate on that. We're not actually yeah. taking many of them forward into our yeah. um, phase phase two. Once you know, once you've looked at them in phase two, we're actually not thinking that they're up to up to it. So let's go back, and that should feed back into the loop, shouldn't it? Definitely. And then and then just develop things from there. So I yeah. think, and if you've got a process, and the risk of labouring the same point <laughs> no, too many true, times, if you've got a process, yeah, know what it is you've got to look at. Mm-hmm. rather than you're doing all these different things but in what order you're not quite sure yeah and sometimes you do this first and sometimes you do where does it break down most of the time you probably mm-hmm. don't know no, you just exactly. know it breaks down you know it doesn't give you what you want mm-hmm. but you don't necessarily have an easy way of identifying where is it breaking down what yeah. can we do about it because you just you can only take small steps yeah in, in your life and in your working day you can't overhaul the whole of your life or the whole of your you know venture at the same time you all you can do is fix little bits of it and change little bits of it so break it down into those bits and put it together in in a in a process and then you can start working on it can't you absolutely no i think that's great I've, i've really enjoyed going through step one and um 
And then I think it gets even more interesting and even more specific to clubs and, and particular teams when you start moving into the the stage two and three. So, um, And what we'll be trying to do, Tom, just to sort of while I remember it, yeah. is, you know, a big part of the reason that we're doing this, of course, is that we want people to know the background of, of how we've come up with some possible players yeah. for championship clubs. That's so it. we're trying to set the sort of landscape to say, well, look, this is the this is the logic of it. Mm-hmm. This is sort of how we see it playing out. Um, and this is how these names have got onto these lists. Yeah. And we're, we've got a specific way of doing things because it is a specific job we're doing. Because what I like about what we'll find when we start looking at the potential targets for teams in, in the jan- January transfer window is that when we talk about uh, sort of centre forwards or centre midfielders or, or whatever position you choose, the list that we get for Rotherham is going to be different to the list for Leicester. So we're not just going to say, "Oh, here are here are the you know a, a left back that every championship club should be looking at," because we know from what we've looked at in previous episodes that every team plays well. Every team plays slightly different to the other. There are certain playing styles which we can we can use, um, but there's no point we know having a striker who's going to play for Leicester, um, who's who's fit for Leicester system to play for Rotherham or vice versa, because they play a very different way. And and Preston stick out as being a a very different style of play where they're almost completely pressing. So uh, I'm really I'm going to be really interested to see who we pick out for for those outlier teams. You know, your your West Broms who play in a quite a different style, your Prestons. So um so yeah I, I think I think and I hope that that's the value that people will see in this and the interest in the fact that we're taking the time or we've taken the time to put this and I say we but it's really you David to put well, this process together yeah. in order to be able to be this um precise in this sort of sniper um you know, right well, they have different resources as well Tom, won't they the yeah. club so yeah that's right you know, even that's from right. a from the perspective of of the resource that they have mm-hmm. it'll be different. So there'll be differences. There might not be yeah. completely different, but there'll be differences. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out. Because if if a uh, in in the paper recently, well, I say the paper. That's a bit of an old phrase. On the net the other day, uh, the Plymouth chairman said that they wanted to be looking at that top six by twenty twenty eight. Yeah, and so this seems to be a guy with a process, doesn't it? I you think know, and, very much are, and they they play yeah. a certain type of football. It seems from what we've looked at, yeah, that would maybe have them akin with more moving up up the league. Yeah, and the the thing I like about it is the fact that that's a that's a pretty realistic time frame, isn't it? Because yeah. if we're if we're looking at by twenty twenty eight, so that's how many transfer windows is that is that ten windows or eight windows? Uh, yeah, well, it's something around that. Is, it, yeah, it's going to be what are we twenty three? Yeah, well, it's going to be ten probably or so, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, sort of between between that. So you're looking at can we find players who can just slowly, you know, a small step, just take us that little bit further to where we want to get to, a little bit yeah. further where we want to get to over those ten windows. You know, if you change two players per window, let's say. Now that's that's quite a big change when you add it all up, isn't it? And yeah. potentially you end up 
being in the position where uh, you know you're, you're five or six years behind where Brighton and Brentford are now. So it's um yeah, I, I think it'd I be think really other interesting thing, to see how that that comes about. Well, I agree, and I think the other thing about having, let's say, a, perhaps a slightly longer um, time horizon on your objectives is you don't panic. Yeah. You don't you don't take expedient decisions um, in favour of you know more. Well, in favour in favour of more appropriate decisions. Yes, because you're not saying, oh, you know, we've got to do this by the next window or the next you know season or whatever. You're you're saying this is where we are. This is where where we are looking to be over this time frame, and you can put little sort of landmarks along the route and because things in football don't happen the way exactly you want them to happen when you want them to happen or in anything and if you throw the process out because it didn't achieve the thing that you wanted in the short term you just keep churning the process all the time which is actually what clubs have always tended to do so i i think there's a big benefit in taking your time because i i always think like with brighton when you get there you're stronger than you would have been if you got there somehow you got there in a in a season mm-hmm. but how many times have we seen t- teams have a meteoric rise just to crash and burn because you know they didn't they didn't have the the, the infrastructure to no, support they can't that, replicate it that new position yeah, they can't no one really knows you can't quantify how you got there no because you know some well we just had the right players together. Well, which yeah. players? Yeah. Which, what was it about the coach that got the best out of those players, and and how did they play? And of course, you know, it just, what's your process for? You can't reproduce it. What's your process for doing that? Well, we mm-hmm. haven't got one, but we happened to have a breakthrough season because this one came together, and we got these two loans in, and they, you know, yeah. and then all of yeah, but okay, so now you've got a load of players on long contracts that aren't really up to this level, mm-hmm. so you can't get them. You can't get rid of them. No. Do you want to bring eight players in and try and get them to gel within four weeks of a new season starting? You get all these problems, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I think you, we agree yeah, on sacrifice, that. Sacrificing the the important for the immediate. Yeah. I think is is a thing that is yeah. it's a bit of a bit of a human characteristic, I suppose, isn't it? It's that panic of of wanting those um, you know, quick gratification, those quick results. But yeah, I I think this this is, is what interested me about this the most is the fact that you can see the way for progression. You can see the reproducibility of it and yeah. the ability for, for you to be able to get down to those, as you said, eventually you want five players for each position, which you're actively scouting, which is always fluid, always active, always changing. Mm. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to, to getting into stages two and then, and then stage three to, to really see how we get to that sharp end of the spear. It will be, um, it'll be good. Yeah, fantastic. So, well, thanks for that, David. And thanks for listening. And we will see you in the next episode of Attacking the Championship. See you then. Bye bye. (laughs) 